welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace here with Freya Spence, and our guest today is Professor Stu Phillips. Stu is a Tier 1 Canada Research Chair of Skeletal Muscle Health and Aging, a professor in kinesiology, and a member of graduate faculty in the School of Medicine at McMaster University. He is a fellow of the Canadian Academy of Health Sciences, American College of Sports Medicine, and the American College of Nutrition. His research is focused on the impact of nutrition and exercise on the mechanisms of human skeletal muscle protein turnover. This guy knows a lot about protein and muscle stuff. So, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Stu Phillips, welcome very much to the Move Daily Health Podcast. Wow, thanks for having me, Dane. Well, we're very happy to uh, finally visit you here on campus. Yeah. So that was uh, your high-level intro. Yep. yep. With all uh, your specific titles. But can you tell us a little bit about what got you into this area of research? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, as we were chatting on uh, off mic before I uh, started here, uh, I did my undergrad at McMaster uh, almost 30 years ago now, but it was in biochemistry. And um, the, lots of people have sort of heard this story, but I'll tell it again. Uh, I was a rugby player in my undergrad, played varsity rugby for four years. Kind of hated, I hate to say this, Dane, I hated Queen's University because they were a primary <laughs> rival, but uh, I, don't, I won't go into that right now. I know that's where you did your, your school. So. They're very good at things. They're very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As much as I hate to admit it. They never won the academic portion. That was Guelph. <laughs> we had a lot exactly. of fun. Exactly. Yeah, well, so I actually used to love playing Guelph because, you know, they were great guys, but we usually beat them. We didn't yeah. beat Queens. So yeah. that's the, there's where the animosity comes from. So, um, yeah, so uh, in my, the last year of my undergrad, I was all set to, I thought I was going to head off to medicine. Uh, I was playing a rugby game two weeks before I came back from my final year. I broke my leg. I had a ton of time on my hands because I couldn't play rugby. And I decided to do a senior thesis, and I got into the lab. And I, I got to be honest with you, it's weird how these things happen, but I just fell in love with research and being in the lab. And uh, if you'd have asked me at that time whether I was going to be a professor, I'd have probably said no way. But at the end of every point, I said, you yeah, know, I'm really liking this. And I just kept going, and then it, here I am, 20 years later at McMaster, and, and that's that's sort of how it go, how it's been uh, going. That's funny. That's awesome, though. Yeah. yeah, it's a great story. And so it's been 20 years. Yep. Yep. So within that 20 years, I feel there's been a lot of research come out on the topic of protein, yep. muscle synthesis. Synthesis, I believe, is the word I'm looking mm -hmm. for. So back 20 years ago, compared to now. Yeah. What are kind of the, the things we're really finding out these days versus what's kind of always been around? Yeah, so I think the, the, the biggest thing is uh, realizing the dynamic nature of some of these proteins uh, that we have in our muscle and not just in our muscle, everywhere in our body. And I, th I think most people sort of think about protein in our bodies as being a static structure. And, you know, so it sort of sits in muscle and it's there. And, and it's, it's actually not. It's, uh, you know, my analogy to talk about is it's like a brick wall. Uh, it's constantly being repaired. So there's bricks being pulled out that are in bad shape. There's new bricks being put in. Uh, so that dynamic nature and how fast things turn over, and we're getting drilling down now to the protein level, um, is probably been the biggest thing that's changed from the, our understanding. Uh, there's a lot of other things that have changed, but, um, yeah, and the, and the genetic influence, um, that probably is exerted over that process as well. So we're beginning now to, you know, peel back some of the layers on that. So what were some of the main questions that you're asking these days compared to what you were asking, say, 20 years ago? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, 20 years ago, um, it's interesting to, to think about it. We were just looking at, you know, how much does muscle protein synthesis go up after you've lifted some weights? Mm. What impact does protein have on that? And it was quite descriptive work. Um, now we're drilling down into questions of exercise intensity, the influence of sex, so men versus women, protein doses, types of proteins, aging, which was not a big focus 20 years ago, but yeah. now all of a sudden we realize, hey, you know, Canadians are aging and it's a global phenomenon. And geez, you know, muscle is a big deal for these older folks. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, those are things that have evolved over my time here, and I think probably in the next five to ten years, if you came back again, you would hear me talking a lot more 
uh, about aging than I would about anything else. So. Say, as, as I as, age, when as we're as over age. thirty, we're all yeah. starting to be concerned yeah, with yeah. that. No, yeah, no. And, and I think I think a lot of it is is it's a self-driven um, interest, and uh, as as I begin to notice how things change in my body, and yeah. you know how I exercise, not like I used to, mm-hmm. um, and my tolerance for certain things, but. Um, and I, you know, you also look at your parents, and uh, I direct a facility here that's full of people, average age of about 70, 75. Oh. And uh, so I'm interested in what we can do to make their wa- their lives, mm-hmm. their wives, their lives. Well, um, probably good their wives quali- Yeah, their wives too. Because that, that helps with quality of life. <laughs> um, their lives uh, a little bit better quality through exercise and nutrition. Yeah, and that's, I remember one of the topics back at Queens when I was taking phys ed, one of the big topics was sarcopenia. And yeah. it was, I think the, they were saying even at 35, you can start to see some muscle loss if you're not lifting weights, if you're not eating enough protein and that nature of things. So can you just describe what is sarcopenia yeah. and what age does that, do we typically see those effects really start to take place? Yeah, so I think I always start out with um, something that people know if they've never heard the term sarcopenia before, although more and more people have, mm-hmm. is to say, you know, most people have heard the term osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. So the precursor to osteoporosis, which is a loss of bone, is, is osteopenia. Um, there is no sarcoporosis. We don't really have a, an outcome like that. But sarcopenia is essentially the same thing, but in a different tissue, and it's muscle. What we don't have in muscle that we obviously have in bone is a fracture. So there's no definable event Mm -hmm. that says you've got X sarcopenia or you've got, in the case of a fracture, osteoporosis. Um, So sarcopenia is the age-related insipid loss of muscle mass that occurs. And as you said, uh, Dane, who knows when it starts, but I'm sure for some people it probably does start in their 30s. It's probably not measurable until you're in your 50s by the standards of, uh, you know, your muscle mass has gone down, your strength has gone down, but it certainly becomes apparent for uh, quite a lot of people, and you can begin to point to signs that it's there uh, in your late 50s and early 60s. So we talk about people maybe not being disabled, but being, we call it pre-disability. So they might have modified something in their daily routine. For example, if they approach a wide flight of stairs, they would never consider negotiating going down without first holding onto the handrail. And they say, well, that's just a safety thing. And But they, in their mind, they're like, you know what? I'm, I just don't trust myself unless I'm holding on. And mm-hmm. so that's a small manifestation of what we're seeing um, that probably started about 20 years prior to that. So... Uh, you need to think about it earlier than uh, it, it's easier to prevent the decline than it is to try and reverse the loss, if that's the right way of putting it. Yeah. And back in again, when I was at Queens over a decade ago, I don't recall there ever being protein recommendations for battling sarcopenia, yeah. for example. And I think that's a really big part of the research that you're currently doing. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's right. No, uh, I think. Um, people have, uh, have held the RDA, the recommended daily, uh, dietary allowance in their minds, 0.8 grams of protein per kilo per day. And, you know, anything beyond that is, is useless. Uh, but we're get, beginning to appreciate now uh, that for older people, that's not necessarily the case. In fact, higher protein intakes um, have some benefit and supporting skeletal muscle is, is one of them. Great. And when you're giving protein recommendations, it's always in grams per pound, grams per kilo. Yeah. I think that you lose some people when these <laughs> things start. Because it's like, now I have to math. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. to math sure, to sure, figure out how much sure. protein I need. Yeah, to eat. And yeah. I think that's a daunting task for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should note, we've also had a lot of people who will take that recommendation and think it means the weight of the food. Yes. And then they put it on a scale and they're like, oh my God, this is... Yeah. Either way too little or holy crap, how much is this? Yeah, so yeah. relative to um, within your populations uh, that you're studying, what are the general amounts that you would see on a plate, for example? Right. So within a meal. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's an interesting answer to this question, given the current recent revision of Canada's food guide. So they've yes. adopted the plate approach, which has been the U.S. my plate approach for uh, quite a while, um, in which about a quarter of the plate is occupied by protein-rich foods, which is the new category that has sort of been the amalgamation of dairy and uh, meat and alternatives. 
Uh, to my mind, if you're looking at a plate, your serving of protein should occupy at least a third uh, to maybe depending on who you are and what it is you're doing. But if you're older, I would suggest that it occupy at least a third and up to maybe about half. Um, so that's more, I think, than most people would recommend. And then I like to say, you know, I don't, I'm not an, a no-carb person, so starch, whatever that is, whether it's in the form of vegetables or, you know, heaven forbid, pasta or rice or anything like that. But that's about a quarter of your plate, and then fruits or vegetables preferably are probably about the other quarter. Brilliant. Brilliant. And then we get into the whole conversation of what are protein-rich foods. Yeah. And so there are a lot of vegetarians out there, a lot of vegans out there who don't eat meat, don't eat dairy, yep. don't eat fish. Yep. And so they'll rely on legumes and other vegetable-based yes. sources of that. And I know you can tell the audience that these sources just are not going to give you the same impact as eating a piece of meat or a piece of yep. fish. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I think my, my general rider when I, when I talk about, you know, vegetable-based uh, protein sources is to, is to flat out admit, first of all, is that, you know, vegan choices as a lifestyle, whether you make it from an ethical standpoint or it's a health-related issue or, you know, some other reason, it, it can be a very healthy way to eat. And if people are diligent about how they plan their diets, it, it is. And I mean, I, I don't think that any observational data or experimental studies would, would make me contradict that statement. I think people do have to be a little bit more diligent about how they eat their protein. Um, the quality of the protein in plants by generalism is, is lower than it is for animal-based protein. And animal-based protein sources, so if we wanted to take the example of dairy or meat or eggs, which are the sort of big three that people come, uh, come to mind for people, um, it's not just protein. I mean, those are what we tend to refer to as nutrient-dense sources of protein. So there's a package of things that come along when you eat those things that isn't just protein, but we get a lot of calcium. We get a lot of potassium from dairy. We get vitamin D because of the enrichment. Uh, we get iron. We get zinc from uh, meat. Uh, and we get other nutrients like choline from eggs. So you know, that's, those are nutrients that tend not to come along with plant-based sources. But having said that, if you're diligent about how you plan your diet, power to you and no qualms here about getting plant-based protein sources, but you do have to be more diligent about how you plan your diet, I think. It's like saying, you know, there are vegans and, and, and you can be a good vegan or you can be a crappy vegan. Oh, yeah. In other words, you, there's plenty of things that you can eat that you can say, I'm vegan, but it doesn't mean you have a good diet. Yeah. Same with, with, nope. with the animal protein Same with the as animal. well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had a roommate in university who was vegan. She ate bagels and Diet Coke. Yeah. By contrast, uh, we have a couple good friends who are, and they are super diligent yep. about making sure, and they supplement with bees because yep. that's a necessary yep. component, and their digestive health is, is good. What are some of the main challenges that you encounter? Because at the time that you started research, I'm not really sure how, quote-unquote, popular that topic wise like yeah. in terms of mainstream yeah. and nowadays with a lot of like clickbait and where people will willingly go and take maybe five percent of what was said in a research article <laughs> and then present it as the be all end all hence yeah. you know a whole lot of confusion out there uh, what are some of the biggest limitations in terms of communicating the research yeah uh, well uh, let me say this is that um, a lot of people will say to me hey you you have a pretty large social media profile and I said, well, I do relative to a lot of other academics, but I don't relative to a lot of people who are, uh, you know, the greatest term I've heard is influencers. Oh, no, right? I was going to so, say, don't say influencer, are, but it's true. Are you a protein influencer? Yeah, I, I, well, I don't think I'm a protein influencer, although um, I would like to think I have a little influence out there. But, I mean, I think that the important point is that the, the ratio of what I call noise to signal yes. uh, in terms of, you know, the sort of messages that are out there relative to the ones that I think are verifiable through mm -hmm. science um, is it's un at an unprecedented high these days. So it's difficult for people to figure out what's real and what's not and news headlines versus, you know, and now we have fake news and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I do think that um, there are some good verifiable sources, but I think that it's hard to for the average person to figure out what are the ones that are are, are def definitely a signal 
Um, hopefully those people get more attention. Um, the problem is the latest list that I have seen is that, you know, people in the United States would trust, you know, and, and Dr. Oz is high on the list as an example, yeah. higher than, uh, somebody, the first scientist is probably somewhere 20 something on the list. Mm -hmm. Um, and actors have influence that are greater than, mm -hmm. um, you know, presidents, for example, Presidents? Maybe, yeah. Reality yeah, TV stars or presidents? Well, hang on. We're that's get into a that. dirty word these days, <laughs> isn't is... it? Yeah. It's a, it used to, it was a different question maybe yeah. a few years ago. But I mean I, I think that the main point is that um, people's uh, you know, the, the the law of Phillips is that the power of an anecdote is directly proportional to either the income or in the case of athletics, the athletic success of the individual giving mm -hmm. it. So uh, you know, Food Babe has a huge following and, yeah. and, and dispenses information as if it's doctrine. Uh, Dr. Oz is another great example, and uh, it's easy to make fun of them, but they influence a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and the sad state is, is that it's hard then as a scientist to get your message across. But the failing of a lot of scientists has been the inability to be able to communicate simple messages. So that's yeah. what people need. We used to, I was actually having a conversation yesterday where we used to, as as coaches, sort of monitor uh, celebrities yeah. and monitor like mainstream news sources. And those are kind of the two main areas we had to pay attention to in terms of understanding the belief system that clients might come in with, yeah. especially like I, my background's in, in rehab largely, but you'd have people who are like, I need to sweat to get yeah. better. It's like, yeah. no, your knee is broken. Yeah. So those were the main areas. And we're like, we're just on the one-on-one -on -one basis. Sure. Now it's, it's Instagram. Yeah. And it's the person who's never, ever worked with someone. Yeah in application, never worked in a lab, but they have 500,000 followers sure. and they're a headliner. It's wild. Like it, yeah. it, that's hard. I, I think it's hard for you guys to manage that. That's why we're so curious about it because your message is important and it gets so distorted. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, we had the same exact conversation yesterday about uh, the, these people who call themselves influencers and are you know, widely followed on Instagram or have a large Twitter Twitter following. And it's mainly through, in the fitness area, for example, it's mainly through photography. In other words, these mm -hmm. people, you know, they do have muscles. They do look great in a bikini, for example. And they're influencers by virtue of their appearance and not mm -hmm. through their knowledge. And it's yeah. hard to know what somebody has between their ears. But, uh, you know, so that's, that's, you know, a lot of people ask why I even bother with social media, but that's why I bother because I think that's where a lot of the battles around information are being fought, to be honest with you. One of our good friends, I love that you touched on that because one of our good friends actually, he is out there a lot. He's got a, um, a wide population of athletes that mm -hmm. he's worked with. Yeah. And his comment on that, because we've, you know, expressed being discouraged at times. We're mm -hmm. just kind of like, it's really sad. I don't even like seeing what's out there. Yeah. But he gave this analogy of crabgrass. He said, but if you go into yeah. the background, <laughs> the crabgrass just grows. You can't just pick out the crabgrass and expect more grass. So he's yeah. like, if you can go into that crabgrass and just be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try to send out a really positive message and see what happens. Yeah. So if we can get more people speaking up. But I find the hard part is people who are very knowledgeable tend to hold themselves back. Because we also understand that everything has a context with it with a catch of it depends yes. <laughs> we can't deliver yeah. absolute yeah yeah and, and I, I couldn't agree more i love the crabgrass analogy it's a good one um if my own lawn were the analogy then the social media is there's a lot of damn crabgrass out there but like in fairness i i think you're right i think uh people have to try um, and people have to begin to translate their message and make it simpler and easier to understand. Um, I, the hashtag of a good friend, and he's doing a great job, uh, named Tim Caulfield, who's out there on social media, um, is hashtag go science. Nice. And the idea is to try and just push science over uh, a lot of bunk. And um, if nobody were out there doing it, then uh, bunk and the crabgrass, so to speak, would, would win. So, mm. yeah, I try and uh, get out there. Uh, there's lots of other people who I have a lot of respect for, spend more time on social media and have great messages. <clears throat> They're not usually the people that get listened to, though. Yeah. But, but, 
you know, people are out there trying to do do their best. Yeah. So yeah, which we we appreciate. For yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah, we love yeah. It. And hopefully this is a little uh, a little signal out there in the in the noise, exactly. so to speak. That's yeah. right. Yeah, we have a tremendous amount of respect for guys like you and Brad Schoenfeld and Brad, guys who, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. guys who are researchers and who have great information and yeah. who do take the time to put some stuff on social media. Exactly, mm-hmm. it's yeah. really important yeah. that you know we have the the smart people out there putting oh. out the good stuff, and yeah. then hopefully we can start putting that signal out more and more and more and outgrow all that crabgrass. Absolutely, so that's kind of the hope, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're like we don't know all the answers, but we'll go meet all the people who have answers. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <clears throat> Fair so enough. I kind of wanted to segue this back a little bit more to sarcopenia. Sure. Um, and again, just kind of talk about protein requirements a little bit more, Sure. because I know some of the protein requirements, if you just give a kind of generalization, mm-hmm. you can talk about one, one gram per pound of lean body mass for right. a, a general person is a fair place to aim for. Yep. Cool. Now, what is the difference between, let's say, you know, a teenager, somebody, and then somebody who is 60? Yeah. Are they similar, even though they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, or what yeah. are we looking at there? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, you know, the greatness about being a teenager is, uh, and I have two of them, uh, I used to have three, one's just Fun. out, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> is that they appear to be able to put anything into their body, and it's, it's, it's just, it's like, you know, a freight train runaway. It's just absolutely insane. And, and, you know, I can vaguely remember that, that joyful time in my life where it, it seemed like any food was great food. So the seafood diet was in, a, you, you, you yeah, saw it, you, you ate it. it. You eat it. Exactly. Yeah. They have growth going for them. And that's the one thing that uh, is, it, it's, I think people probably underestimate the energy needs for growing. Uh, there was a lot of it when, you know, obviously we were toddlers, but teens are, you know, variously, uh, various times going through growth spurts. And so their influence, their situation's a little different. Uh, the person at the opposite end of the spectrum who's 65, growth has ceased. And really what it's about is about mitigating decline and, and trying to slow that process. So they lack the advantage of the hormonal environment that drives muscular growth and bone growth and development um, that teens have essentially everything's in decline. So I'm making it sound like it's terrible, but I mean, the, the main point is, yeah, I know. But you, this is why they need yeah. proteins too. <laughs> I know. And but, exercise. And exercise, yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the two are, uh, you know, I like the Jack LaLanne quote, right? When if you, if uh, nutrition is, uh, is king and uh, uh, exercise is queen or the vice versa, then the two together are forming a kingdom, right? So um, older people need to think about, uh that before it's sort of too late, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So the, the osteoporosis analogy is the easiest one to pick on because, you know, if you build a good bone mass, if you're a woman before menopause, then you're defended against the loss at menopause. And the lower your bone mass when that happens, the worse state you're in. And it's exactly the same with muscles. So sarcopenia, as we've said, begins probably much earlier than people think. So if you build up a good reserve, it's going to go down, but you can probably slow the decline, maintain your function. And I think there, the key is really being active and physical activity is the sort of underpinning activity, lifestyle, if you like. And protein is the augmentive or, you know, the, the thing that goes in and sort of says, yeah, I'm going to fill that right in. So, you know, not, nobody's found anything yet that'll turn back the clock. And uh, I hate to say it, but the rate of mortality is still 1.0. Uh, so it's about the quality of life that you live, right? <laughs> I was listening to someone, I can't remember who he is, but he was actually discussing how if we didn't have that mortality there, we wouldn't really be as motivated to do something right now. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's not a negative. Right. No, no. <laughs> it's uh, pushing us yeah. to improve our experience. There are a few certainties in life, but that's one of them. And so make the most of the time that you're here. Yeah. Good point. Now, on the topic of exercise, you are a big proponent of uh, of exercise, yeah. and you've also we've listened to a few other things or read a few other things with you involved, and you're you're not dogmatic about okay, if you do this one thing, you're going to be great, which we really appreciate. Can you touch on, for example, what you do now compared to what you did in your twenties when yeah. you were playing rugby? It's like yeah. I've I've trained a bunch of rugby players, yeah. mostly when they're broken, but yeah. there's yeah. a lot going on there, and your protein requirements would obviously be higher. Sure. But what do you do now to sustain your well yeah. well being? Yeah. So um, 
Time is my most precious commodity these days. Uh, I used to think, and I still kind of have a little chuckle when uh, I get undergraduate thesis or even graduate students saying, I'm busy, because they're not. Uh, <laughs> um, they like to think they are, but but if you want to see busy, then you can come and parachute into, uh, into my life every now and again. Um, and that's, you know, that's a living arrangement thing and everything else. But, I mean, the main point is... Uh, I don't have a lot of time, so my workouts start at usually about 5.30 a.m. I've always been an early riser, so it's never been an impediment to me getting a workout in. Uh, the gym that I go to is it's usually me and the same three or four people that are there every day. Yeah. It sort of feels almost like my personal gym. Um, and I'm, my workout's done in under an hour. When, I, when my kids were young, it was because I had to be back to help uh, my wife get them up and ready and make lunches and et cetera and get them out the door. Now it's just a matter of habit, and that's where I find my mental state is in a good place. I it's it's almost like I'm I wouldn't say meditative, but it certainly is. It gets my karma square, and I feel good about the day yeah. when I've done that. When I was younger, my favorite workout time was was happy hour in the gym, and that was about five o'clock. Uh, you could meet a lot of people. I always said it was uh, it was a better place to meet people because you met like-minded people Absolutely. than the bar. Yeah. Um, and it was certainly the, uh, I think my workouts lasted on average just over two hours and there was a lot of chatting involved. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't like think you're that's... you're painting Danes up. Yeah, yeah too. you know, you know I, I actually, every now and again, I, I parachute down to the, the gym here on campus and I have a, a quick peek and I don't think things have changed too no. much. So... Um, it, it it's time uh it's probably the plan i go in with i know exactly what i'm going to do now i kind of faffed around when i was younger i was serious um when i needed to be uh and then but i spent uh, another hour and a half two hours out on a rugby field as well or if i was playing hockey then it was skating etc so I think that's the big, I'm more efficient in how I do my workouts. Uh, my diet now, I think the biggest change is uh, I eat a lot less junk because I just can't get away with it. I, I put weight on a lot quicker, probably because I'm not doing as much and probably because my metabolism is slowing down. And I, I eat a lot less carbohydrate. I'm not carb free or I'm not keto or anything, but I just don't burn as much carbs for fuel as I used to. So. I remember those teen years, and they are great years. Enjoy them while you can. But it comes, it'll come to you all at some point. And if you're one of those genetic freaks who, you know, you for some reason you can stave off weight loss into your 40s, 50s, and 60s, then great. But that's not most mere mortals, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, especially given the ratio of time spent seated and yeah. you know that kind of yeah. kind of thing i mean and, and as active as i like to think i am uh at my age which for the record is 52 i still spend most of my day sitting in front of a computer yeah, and yeah. i think probably a lot of people who uh that's how they spend their day so mm -hmm. i get my hour in the gym i do my physical activity guideline mandated amount of activity but i still spend a lot of time sitting mm -hmm. um yeah what do you do? Do you do things specifically in the gym and add in things outside, like any sort of cardiovascular activity on top of that? Or do you get that all done in that timeline yeah. as well? Yeah. So, uh, again, um, I used to be in a, in a former life, uh, I've run marathons. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I know it shocks a lot of people. I spend a lot more time lifting weights now than I do, um, than I used to. But I all of my aerobic work now outside of the you know going for a walk or doing yard work or whatever um is usually high intensity stuff i have a colleague here at mcmaster marty gabala who's convinced me that uh, i can get the fitness benefits done in in 20 minutes and i'm not a huge fan of long slow workouts if i'm going to do that I'll, I'll go for a walk and and try and you know and be outside and i think that that's a better thing for your psyche and you know health wise does just as much for you but you know and all the runners and the cyclists are like wait hold on and I'm like okay don't you know if that's your thing again uh, I think the biggest thing and if I had a message for somebody around physical activity and you mentioned that I need to sweat the biggest reduction in, in risk for any chronic health condition comes when you take someone who does nothing to doing something mm -hmm. Um, more of something just means a little bit more water that gets squeezed out of the cloth. So 
if you can do something versus nothing, then you're you're beating actually the vast majority of people out there. So whatever activity it is that you like, people say, what's the best? I'm like the one, I know, I hate to say this because it sounds so cliche, the one you can stick to. Uh, it's true, though. Yeah, it's true. I know. And it doesn't sell books, though, does it? It doesn't. But Gabal's book, The One Minute Workout, yeah. had a lot of people buying. So yeah, one he's, minute. He's oh, my okay. God. He's, he's done, done okay. well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I know just in reading articles from you, research papers, hearing you speak on podcasts, when it comes to the aging population and sarcopenia, losing muscle, the key thing, one of the key things to do is do some form of resistance training. You know, yeah. that's a big message that yeah. you have put out there. Yeah. Then the thing that you just said, however, was just if you're doing nothing – do something. Sure. So, for example, if we have an aging population, somebody who really does does nothing, yeah, getting them into the pool, in and out of the pool, getting them to do some brisk walking, even this is extremely valuable and can help delay the onset of that in given situations, correct? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of pool workouts, but if the option is sitting on your butt and doing nothing, then get in the pool. If you can't, do X, Y, or Z, but you can go for a brisk walk, go for a brisk walk. Um, if you have an older parent, guardian, whatever, um, relative that you know, and they're at risk for falls, then the, the message really there is they need to be made to be stronger and have better balance. Um, there are ways to do that uh, in formal settings. There are ways to do it at home. There are lots of ways to do it, but it, it's it's... It's hard to break the habit, right? If you spend a lifetime being sedentary and then all of a sudden somebody's like, well, you need to do this. Um, I mean, the opposite. I, I, I speak to mostly kinesiology or active people, students, you know, and they say, oh, I just can't imagine life without this. And I said, well, there are plenty of people who have the opposite reaction to you mm -hmm. when I, you know, I talk to them. I, what if I said to you, tomorrow you will eat nothing but McDonald's and you will smoke a pack a day. And you, they'd be like, oh, I said, well, that's the reaction that some other people have to activity. So you need to put yourself in their shoes. And there's a lot of research now around nudging people toward like yeah. small things. And so spending less time sitting is, is I call it, a, it's a nudge, a population nudge that probably is going to have some benefit. But if you can get up and go for a walk or like Marty just showed, go up and down a flight of stairs. stairs I mean, that's incredible, really, you know? just a, For such a limited yeah. amount of, of your total day. Yeah. Go up and down a flight of stairs, Yeah. go for 60 seconds, and then recover. Yeah. <laughs> or just, even his other one where it's uh, alternating minutes for 20 minutes, yeah. but walking. Like, yeah. not even, you don't even have to sprint for a minute. Nope. You can walk faster. Yeah then slow down. You don't need to change your yeah. your clothes. You don't need nope. to go to a special facility. So really, we're getting right down. And, you know, again, uh, not really my area, but it's something that's mm -hmm. really changed in the last 20 years. We're beginning to get down to this dose of physical activity where you can titrate it down to something that's very small. So as Marty's fond of pointing out, the barrier that most people cite to not being physically active is I don't have time. time. And that's not really a valid argument, is it? Anymore? And and yet everyone has time for their Netflix, sure, or anything of that nature. Just sitting, right? If it sure. doesn't require effort, yeah. it's far. There's time for that. Suddenly, yeah, yeah. We actually see that argument being made towards um, nutrient intake as well. Yeah. So right, it's like I don't have time for food prep. Well, yeah. I don't have time to go for a walk at lunch. And one of the biggest things that we do with our clients is actually incorporate the daily stuff. I had a 92-year-old client mm -hmm. who I whom I met at the sports clinic, and what we found was best for him is just he had to go for 20-minute walks mm -hmm. three times a day, yeah. and then he cut out alcohol and gluten of his own choice, that yep. was his choice, yep. in order to incorporate more vegetables and protein. Yep. And after about a year, he said, I have more energy. And I just laughed because I'm like, you're 92. Yeah. And I said, yeah. what motivated you? Because he cut out those things before sure. I met him. And he said, it's never too late to change. Yeah. So now when 35-year-olds come in our door and they're like, oh, well, no, this is just, I'm sure it's just aging. I'm kind of like, I don't yeah. know if it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 incredible, and I and I wish that that sort of will and spirit were were in more people. Uh, it's never too late to change. As a, you know, uh, 
oh, there's such a mantra to live by. And uh, being able at that point in your life to say, yeah, these are the things that they're just not pushing me forward and they're probably holding me back. They might be a comfort that you do, you know, you get some sort of positive feedback. Um, but if the, the dividends I like to think that you get from being physically active or planning your diet. And, you know, we've, we've seen it. I mean, as much as I like to bash uh, Canada's new food guide, a recommendation that, that is highlighted in there is around eating at home. Yes, and, and cooking meals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's interesting um, how that translates into uh, better health, uh, better dietary intake patterns, lower risk for chronic diseases, mostly obesity. And, you know, everybody's like, well, how? how? And I said, basically because you're preparing the food, um, you generally prepare, tend to prepare healthier choices, and you don't choose the, you know, probably higher, more calorically dense, and yet, you know, nutrient void uh, option at a fast food restaurant. I said, outside of that, maybe there's something almost, whatever you want to call it, spiritual that goes along with preparation of food that I think we've lost a little bit. You know, uh, food should be enjoyed, right? Mm -hmm. And if we're not enjoying our food, then uh, I, think, I think you've lost a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's like, geez, I need to eat this and I need to eat it. I'm like, oh, geez, isn't one of the best pleasures in life sitting down and Enjoying eating with friends yeah um so i, I know we're getting off topic yeah I no i think this is totally on topic yeah. and i think yeah. the food guide it's far from perfect but those improvements have been i i think they've made such a great improvement yeah. for increasing the overall health of the general population yeah. given the state of the current general population absolutely i think they've done a great job and just to go back to the cooking uh, the preparing their own food i think it, something that we forget about too if you're sourcing your own food mm. there's a lot of there's a lot more movement involved yeah. in having to get your own food and prepare <laughs> yeah. that food that we forget about yeah and yeah. that makes a difference that takes you from being somebody who just went on your phone and went on uber eats yeah to somebody who actually had to maybe go to the grocery store yeah. maybe go to the kitchen and chop vegetables yeah it is i would say actually significant yeah i i couldn't i couldn't uh, agree more i think that and i and i i don't know what it is but they're uh, to me who i i enjoy preparing meals I just think that that's a part of the process of enjoyment and, and that goes along with it. I understand the time crunches and I, I, I get it, but uh, honestly, and I, I almost nine times out of 10 uh, prefer a meal that's cooked at home. But, you know, I think I'm preaching to the converted here, obviously, and probably <laughs> on your podcast, and I don't know that it's going to make anybody change, but it's, it's a true pleasure of mine to be able to prepare a meal, to be honest. We very much partake in that. Like, everything will stop in order to have dinner together and make the meal together and we split up who does what. But w one thing that came to mind in uh, in that conversation just now was, you know the company Le Creuset that does the cast iron, yes. um, but covered with ceramic? Yeah. So one of my relatives said that young people cannot afford them, mm -hmm. but old people cannot lift them. Yes. And that, I think... Would, wouldn't be a problem if we uh, kept cooking our own meals. I, I will say this. I, I got, and, and this is not a word of a lie, I got one of the deep um, sort of fry pans for Christmas. And, and it was, it was I mean, kitchen knives to me excite me, okay? Sharp yes. kitchen knives, good set of kitchen knives. <laughs> and I got one of the, the deep fry pans for Christmas. And I have to be honest, when I'm going to grab that, I have to use two hands. You think you can hold it with one on the short handle? I'm like... Okay, that's that's significant. Uh, it's a it's a heavy cast iron ceramic coat. It's a beautiful piece of uh, cookware, but it's heavy as heck. So if you don't like exercising, the takeaway is go for a walk, carry all your groceries, yes. and by by exercising, I mean if you don't like loading in the gym, and then cook your own meal yeah. with proper cookware, and yeah. there's your workout. Yeah, it's 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 not bad advice, is it? You had a few rapid-fire questions that you wanted to ask, Stu. So yep. are you ready? Go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So what is your stance on supplemental protein for people who can't seem to get enough on that plate? Um, two, quest uh, two answers. First of all, how much money do you have in your pocket? Mainly because supplements tend to be more expensive than real food. Uh, second answer, it's a convenience. Uh, and if it's a real problem for you with the food, then supplements, I don't have an issue. Awesome. And regarding protein, supplemental protein, 
if I was to tell you there's a whey protein option, there's a rice protein option, is there any difference? Um, whey protein would be better quality than the rice. But again, how much money do you have in your pocket? I hate to come back to that, but it's a it's factor. It's the truth it's, in terms of the quality. Yes, yes. If Or if you like the taste of the rice protein, go for it. And if I've just done a workout, isn't it better to have supplemental protein around that workout because it gets into the bloodstream real quick, Stu? <laughs> um, uh, that anabolic window argument sort of been dismissed a number of times now. Thank if you, you talk to Brad Schoenfeld, he'd say the same. Uh, the window, as I'm fond of saying, is open for a long time. So uh, get some food. Um, and, and, and unless you're absolutely twisted about it, then, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to change some people's mind. I get it. <laughs> That's honestly one of my favorite conversations to have with new clients. Yeah. Who they're like, well, what do you mean I don't need a protein shake before and after my workout? I'm like, okay, well, let's just try to go without it and see yeah. what happens. So that maybe make you less stressed out around your work. I, I, and people say, you know what? I just feel better. I'm like, okay. Sure. Good. Conversation over. over. Feel better. Yep. <laughs> so on that note, does protein timing matter? Uh, I, so uh, my, my answer to that's a little pragmatic. And I, uh, I asked the question, you know, are, are you trying to be uh, on the podium in, in Tokyo in 2020? If the answer is yes, then, you know, little things begin to make a difference. Um, I think for some of those athletes and at the highest end, and if you're doing two a days and you're really trying to fine tune and get down, then some things like that might begin to matter. Uh, for most mere mortals, um, myself very much included, um, then it, it's not a big deal. Real food, uh, reasonably spaced and meals throughout the day to suit your needs, you're good to go. And on the topic of supplemental protein, what about supplemental leucine or branched-chain amino acids, BCAAs? Um, so leucine, definitely the key amino acid uh, that triggers muscle protein synthesis. There are rich protein sources of it that are easily available and cheap, milk being the easiest one out there. Um, if you want to do whey, then that's probably top of the heap. Um, the rest kind of go down from there. Uh, leucine alone, yes, if necessary, probably applicable more to clinical populations. The most bitter amino acid out of 20. Uh, if you taste it, uh, it's not fun, so make sure you have a good food scientist on board. BCAAs, don't waste your money. Uh, it's really all about leucine. The other two just kind of get in the way of leucine. Um, I'll just plug a uh, soon-to-come uh, paper where we basically show that they're a bunch of rubbish. So I look forward to sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. That I'll was... look forward to publishing it, believe me. <laughs> oh, that was one of my favorite. So I've been an, a strongman competitor for the past decade or so. Good on you. And I remember, oh, man, it must have been seven or eight years ago, mm -hmm. and all the guys in Ontario, so the guys in Quebec have always been the biggest, strongest guys. Sure. And so the Ontario guys were always like looking for the edges, like what are those guys doing that we're right. doing differently? And I still remember the day someone was like, they're drinking BCAAs during the workouts. Oh, yeah. That must be the thing. Must so be. then, of course, yeah. everyone in Ontario immediately starts drinking BCAAs yeah. during the workouts. Got to yeah. prevent muscle wasting during yeah. your workouts. And yeah. I don't think it changed anything. Yeah. I don't think those were the quote-unquote <laughs> bunny ear supplements that uh, the other people were taking. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I can't speak. Uh, I've never been a strongman competitor, but I've seen the physique on those guys, and I, I have to believe that the biggest uh, influence that's going to determine success in that is clearly the, you know, training is a big part of it, but pick your mom and dad wisely. Um, so... Uh, if you didn't have a big dad and a big mom, then it tends to be that you're not going to be a big guy uh, or, 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 or woman. Sorry. And that's why it's nice that there's weight classes now so that the, li the, the little men like me can, uh, you know, think they're strong. That, well, that's what I, <laughs> I think that's, yeah, pound for pound. That's, that's the great equalizer. And I'm fond of saying too, is that uh, if we divided it up and did not just weight class on a scale, but muscle mass classes, then the women could easily compete against the men. Yes. Absolutely. And I, it blows my mind sometimes. I'll see female competitors with like massive squats or massive deadlifts and seeing, especially on social media and seeing guys in the comments making snide comments or like, oh, I can't do that. I'm so embarrassed. And it's like, why is, why should she not be able to, if she has good genetics and she put in the work, she, her legs can be way stronger yeah. than yours. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think the important point too to realize, and I and I promised I would make this point after a good friend of mine chimed in on my last podcast, and I said about the genetics of hypertrophy. There's probably some genetics around strength as well, and and you've probably seen it more than I have. Right is that you get people that look from muscularity standpoint. Um, like they should be able to do a lot more than they can. And so some people are obviously endowed with the ability and it's skill-based, I'm sure, to some extent, but maybe the right genetics for strength. And so uh, from that standpoint, that's uh, to your point, I think some people just have that gift. Yeah, and I think that becomes actually really clear in some of the competitions that I've competed in. There's, there's guys that are completely unassuming who will win. And yeah. it's, it's, just a, it's just, it is definitely genetic factors. Yeah. And the ability to repeat, because well, with strongman, the events, you know, there will be one guy who's maximally strong on the first two, and then he's just done the next three. And yeah. he could do them if they were a couple days later. Yeah. But the person who can repeat that performance. It, that's the is, hallmark of yeah. truly great athleticism yeah. in my mind. It's, you know, to achieve pinnacles and uh, hit gold medals and et cetera, that's, that's, that's outstanding. And I don't want to take away anything from anybody that does that. The ability to do that and repeatedly do that. Yeah. that's something else. That's the, yeah, that's a true hallmark of great athleticism. And yeah, I wish what, what I knew what that was, but probably genes <laughs> and et cetera, et cetera. You know, we have a few final wrap up questions. Yeah. I know you're busy. So this one might, we might extend the timeline within the last year. What is one of the most impactful books that you've read? Grit. By oh, yeah. Angela Duckworth. She's a, um, I don't even know, she's a professor at Penn State. I know that, but it was, uh, so, and I'll tell you why it resonated with me. I wasn't the brightest student. Uh, I didn't have the best physiology, very mediocre physiology, in fact. And people say, you know, you must be smart. And I'm like, I think I've got a reasonable amount of intelligence, but I don't think I was the smartest person out there. I got to where I am right now through a shed load of hard work and um, her book on grit about the power of determination and passion and perseverance probably more aptly describes this pretty mediocre individual than than anything else so uh, it, it uh, yeah I can't tell you so I give copies of it to a number of I don't, you know, and I would say I give it to students who, I, I'm surrounded, this is the key to success, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are, and you just bask in their reflected glory, you know, and I, I know I say that, and my students, if they're listening, they go, oh, he's saying that again, like, it means, and I'm like, it, but it's true, uh, I, I have a ton of great students, a ton of great postdocs, I have a great base of collaborators and friends who help me, and uh, they make me, and I, I look good in their reflected light. So, uh, but I, I, I love what I do and, uh, my wife will tell you, I spend a lot of hours doing it. So yeah, hard, hard work will beat talent when talent's not working hard. I, yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And so I think we might've touched base on this a little bit earlier, but what is your one non-negotiable self-care tool that you do every day? It's gotta be going to the gym if you take that away from me, I turn into a grumpy person. Uh, I often get told when I'm the grumpy person to go to the gym. Uh, I get ordered out of the house. Uh, um, when I'm traveling, which I do a lot of, that's the biggest stress um, on my time is to is to fit a workout in at some point. So, um, and, you know, flying halfway around the world, we were talking before the show about, you know, travel in uh, Asia, for example, uh, finding a gym, and if I can't find a gym, then doing a workout in my hotel room and, and trying to get it in. And uh, that's that's really, uh, I, I'm realizing now, uh, becoming, as I get older, a, a very non-negotiable term. So I people say, well, you come and give a talk. And I'm like, absolutely. Where's the closest gym? And, and, oh, I'm, uh, and if they don't know, then I get nervous. So I got to be honest with you. <laughs> Got a lot of good hotel gym workouts for that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Body weight hotel gym yep. workouts. Uh, I have a few go tos, and uh, yep, that's what I do. And just on that point, body weight workouts are still great and can get a lot of positive stuff done just with your body weight, guys. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, one, you might have even touched on this a little bit in a couple points that you've had. One thing we like to ask people is what's the one thing you would impart? 
with someone, whether it's one of your students or an age, someone in an aging population in terms of bettering their health. So what's the one thing, if you had five minutes, that you would try and impart? Well, I, I think we've already said it, but I mean, yeah. uh, if you're doing nothing, do something. Uh, if you're doing something, try and do a little more of something. Be consistent in your practice. Uh, from a dietary standpoint, it, it's, it's a pretty simple message, and I don't think anybody would disagree, but eat real food. So uh, it's cliche. It's the outside of the grocery uh, store, and you can skip a lot of the broad messages around cholesterol and saturated fat and refined carbohydrate because they're in the aisles that are in the middle. Um, and so spend more time eating foods that come from that part of the grocery store and prepare as many meals as you can uh, at home. Perfect. Love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's I, I always tell people, eat one ingredient foods. You know, like awesome. if, it's, if it's one ingredient, it's, it's good for your body knows what it is, and yep. it will process it, digest it, give you what you need. Yep. So I, that's a fantastic message. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, so finally, where can people find you and your research and your message? Sure. So uh, Twitter's probably this, uh, the space where I um, basically spend most of my time. I am MacKinProf, M-A-C-K-I-N-P-R-O-F on Twitter. Uh, I am on Instagram at the same address. Uh, uh, Instagram, for some reason, it must be an age-related thing. I just I, I can't get as into it because it's all about taking a picture of yourself or... <laughs> you know for whatever reason so we I need just, more selfies dude. yeah i just yeah i just you know the selfie thing is uh, i don't know so i'll i'll just say that i'm i'm gradually being pushed by my three kids to uh, do more on instagram uh, i'm also on facebook uh you could find me Stuart phillips um or smppht is the uh, page that i use for more sort of professional stuff but Perfect. We will link all of those in yeah. and we look forward to your next publication because we'll share that as well as one of our updates. Cool. Awesome. Well, that was fantastic. Stu, thank you so much for your time and uh, we wish you all the best with your latest research. Keep preaching the good message and Absolutely. we'll keep passing it on. So thank you. And we'll sign off for uh, the Move Daily Health Podcast. Thanks yeah. for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.